The sounding of the ram's horn and the blast of trumpets play significant and mysterious roles in the Bible. Today, whenever the shofar is blown in the land, Bible believers are excited to anticipate the sudden appearing of the Lord Jesus upon his return for his bride, the church of genuine, true believers. This is especially significant when we hear the sound of the shofar on a special date in the Hebrew calendar called Yom Terah, also called the Feast of Trumpets. We're going to explore the meaning of Yom Terah in today's program and what this unique sound of the shofar will signify for us. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Darig. Numbers chapter 29 in the Hebrew scriptures starts out by God instructing the Israelites in the seventh month on the first day of the month, there should be a sacred assembly ceasing from work in Hebrew on Yom Terah, a day of sounding the Terah, a shout. In a moment, we'll see what this mystery is. All Jewish Holy days have special commandments associated with them. And at the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, also known as the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Terah, as it's called in the Bible, the special commandment is to listen to the sound of the ram's horn. Why? Why listen to this ancient and sometimes alarming sound? Well, the rabbis teach that the connection of the ram's horn to the Feast of Trumpets is not just from Numbers chapter 29, but it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the narrative of the near sacrifice of Abraham's son Isaac, when at the last minute, God himself provided and substituted a sacrificial ram that was caught in a thicket by its horns. And mercifully, Abraham was able to sacrifice the ram instead of his son Isaac. Therefore, the shofar is symbolic, first of all, of the sacrificial ram, his horns, in our Judeo-Christian heritage. The rabbis say the sound of the ram's horn, the shofar, calls us to repentance, to wake up, to do an accounting for our souls, and to ask for forgiveness, seeking reconciliation with our fellow man, and of course, with God. Now, this sound of the ram's horn, the shofar of God, is particularly referenced in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, as the upward call to meet the Lord in the air at his second advent, and that verse describes the imminent event in the future that will be heralded by a great trumpet blast. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left here on the earth will suddenly be caught up together with the resurrected believers in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so will always be with the Lord. It's fascinating to me that the rabbinic sages have given Hebrew names to the various sounds created on the shofar, Tekiah, Shevarim, and Terah. The sound of the Ketiah Gadol, for example, is the big shofar blast. It's a long, whole note, and the sustained sound is meant to remind us of creation, of redemption, and of ongoing revelation. One rabbi wrote poetically that when we hear that elongated sound on the shofar, it's as if we were present as the universe was created. Or when we hear that sound in the collective consciousness of the Jewish people, they're standing once again at Mount Sinai receiving the law. One rabbi wrote, when we hear that sound, we become partners with God in bringing about prophetic redemption. Well, the ancient rabbis described the long-sounding note of the tekiah blast. But what about the terah sound and the shavarim sounds? What did they sound like? Well, because the Torah calls the Feast of Trumpets Yom Terah, the day of the sounding of the Teruah, it was important for the rabbis who compiled the Talmud to understand and to learn and to describe that sound. And so they determined that the Teruah sound is based upon a big clue in the Aramaic Bible because the word Teruah appears in the book of Judges, chapter 5 and verse 28 used to describe the wailing of the mother of Israel's enemy, Sisera, when she received news of her son's death while she watched for his return from her window. Sisera was the captain of the enemy army that oppressed the Israelites in the days of the prophetess Deborah and General Barak. According to the Talmud, the mother of Sisera gave out a long sigh and therefore the Terah sound should imitate a gasping, sighing sound. However, there's another rabbinic opinion that his mother wailed, and therefore the sound of the teruah should be constantly broken, like uncontrollable crying or wailing. Because there were various possibilities of sound, sighing and crying, the ancient rabbi stylized both sounds for the shofar service on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, the first sound, shevarim, consists of three gasping sounds, moaning, and the second, teruah, consists of nine staccato sounds, like wailing. I also discovered that there's another tradition that links the sound of the shofar to the Jewish matriarch, Sarah. You see, there's a midrash, a rabbinic legend, that Sarah, the mother of Isaac, overheard that her husband Abraham had gone to sacrifice their beloved only son. And as the Midrash goes, Sarah began to wail and moan, and her soul burst forth from her body like the sounds of the shofar, and then she died. Therefore, the tears of both the mother of Israel's enemy, as well as the tears of Israel's matriarch, Sarah, are memorialized in the sounds of the shofar. Rabbi Laura Geller explained that the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah reminds us that every human being, whether friend or foe, has a mother. Every human being who was killed, whether enemy, family, or friend, leaves a mother sobbing by a window or dying of a broken heart. 
We're all children of our mothers and we're all children of God. This is such a compassionate teaching because whenever I see a tragedy in the news, I often think that some mother somewhere is crying. While the sound of the shofar should make us see the face of God in every human being, the shofar blast should teach us to try to see every person as being created in God's image. However, my friends, the ultimate shofar blast will be when the Lord himself descends with a shout and with the trump of God, as foretold in 1 Thessalonians 4:16. At that time, and this is a great mystery, there will be a bodily resurrection of the dead in Messiah, as well as the bodily transformation of those believers who are still living, an instantaneous supernatural change to our immortal bodies so mysterious to contemplate, yet it's clearly taught in the Bible. Are we going to scoff at and disregard this biblical revelation? Or can we have the faith actually to believe that it is one of God's strange works? You see, Isaiah 28:11 declares that God will do his work, his strange new work, and he'll bring to pass his unusual and disturbing acts in order to bring about redemption. And why will a trumpet signal the Lord's appearing? Well, scholars say trumpets announce the entrance of a king and declare his majesty. Indeed, there's something arresting about the sound of a trumpet. And in the Hebrew Bible, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 16, the trumpet of God, which was a shofar, according to the Hebrew text, the shofar of God was terrifying and awful, filling the people's hearts with fear and dread at Mount Sinai. Nevertheless, this was the holy, mighty God of grace summoning his people into his presence because he loved them as his peculiar treasure above all the peoples on the earth. God had called for a solemn assembly for which the people were told to prepare for three days. And then that chapter in Exodus says that it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on Mount Sinai. And then there was the sound of the trumpet, the shofar, very loud, so that all the people in the camp trembled. The thunder, lightning, and fire are symbols of God's holiness. The thick cloud suggests mystery and glory and a God so holy that he must veil his glory from man so they would be consumed otherwise by his presence. The smoke and the fire speaks of his wrath sometimes. And this is quite a different picture of the God painted in most church pulpits today. Well, in Exodus 19:19, 19, 19, the scene intensifies and it says, when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, that's the tequila gadolah, and became louder and louder and sustained, Moses, the man of God, had to intervene, and he spoke. And God answered Moses by a voice. Imagine the scene. The shofar sounded as these awesome manifestations were happening, lightning, thunder, fire, smoke, and the earth shaking beneath them. The shofar sounded again much louder and with a more prolonged note to herald the descent of God upon the mount. And this time the sound was so piercing, so terrible, it was intolerable to the people 
that according to the commentary in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12, the trumpet blast and the voice made the people beg that no further word be spoken. And the sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. Words not found now in the Hebrew canon of scriptures, but nevertheless penned by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Moses' intervention as a mediator, however, had the effect of bringing the awful preparations to a close. Moses spoke as a mediator, and God answered by a voice, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. In drawing near to God, we must never forget His holiness as painted in this picture. And I want us all to please note that a mediator was necessary between God and the people. Today, if we ask, what must I do to be saved? The scriptures teach us that there is a mediator between God and us, the man, Jesus, the Messiah. And that if we will believe in the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved. In the gospel, we read that Messiah has redeemed us from all the curse of the law because he was made a curse for us on the cross. And now we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Through him, we are justified from all things from which we couldn't be justified by the law of Moses. At Sinai, the people heard a trumpet and a voice. But in the new covenant, God made with Israel the word of God became flesh as the express image of God and Messiah, Jesus, tabernacled amongst us, not just as a voice, but as God appearing in the flesh. At Mount Sinai, the giving of the law brought about the knowledge of sin, but at Mount Calvary in Jerusalem, at the cross of Messiah, peace was made with a holy God through the blood atonement of Jesus. And God appointed the mediator of his choice to bring souls to himself, even Jesus of Nazareth. The Old Testament teaches that not just Moses was a mediator, but also his brother Aaron, who was high priest. Moses declared God's law to the people, and Aaron made reconciliation for sin. And here we learn that both Moses and Aaron were pictures of our divine Redeemer in the Hebrew Scriptures. Moses stood in the prophetic office, and Aaron stood in the priestly office. Jesus, our risen Lord, is our high priest at the right hand of God, where he continually makes intercession for believers. Hallelujah. So let's contrast for a moment the two mountains in Judaism, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. They also belong to Christianity. The commentaries teach that God came down for a season only on Sinai, but on Mount Zion, he is said to dwell. He appeared in terror on Mount Sinai, but at Mount Zion, which includes Mount Calvary, is the place of salvation. In Zion, God ruled, dispensing mercy and favor from between the cherubim above the blood-sprinkled mercy seat in the Holy of Holies of the temple. And it's from Zion that the scriptures say God sends forth strength and help. And from Zion, the gospel law goes forth. Now, the book of Hebrews is, is a beautiful commentary, and I want to read to you from chapter 12, starting with verse 18. And it says, for you are not common to the mount that burned with fire, 
nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and words that caused even Moses to tremble and quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Now, to review what we've covered so far, all the way through the Bible, right to the end, to the book of Revelation, trumpets are used in God's narratives and dramas. In the book of Joshua, for example, trumpets were used as a supernatural battle instrument by seven priests during the Battle of Jericho. And in Joel 2.1, shofars were used to sound the alarm. And far over in the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, the risen Jesus said to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, the first three chapters of the book concerning the churches and the church age. Then the scene changes dramatically in chapter four of the Revelation. In chapter four, John wrote, after these things, meaning the things of the church age, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And he heard a voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately, John said, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Now, theologians say that this scenario follows the church age. The mention of heaven, a voice and a trumpet with the command to come up to heaven all suggest the event known as the rapture or the great snatch of believers to heaven mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. That's why so many Bible scholars believe that the rapture will happen at the end of the church age and at the beginning of the great tribulation when God begins to finish the on-hold program of the 70th week of Israel mentioned by the prophet Daniel. God still has unfinished business with Israel. Well, in John's visions in the book of Revelation, seven trumpets were sounded consecutively to trigger major upheavals and apocalyptic events. These blasts are like war trumpets. The seven successive trumpets were seen by John, sounded by seven angels. Described in detail from Revelation chapters 8 to 11. In Christian eschatology, the first six trumpets are used to serve as warnings to repent. They're wake-up calls to sinners throughout the earth. And just like the plagues in the Hebrew scriptures in the Torah, each trumpet blast unleashes a disaster greater than the previous one. But the seventh trumpet doesn't bring a plague. Rather, it's sounded to give glory to God and to announce the coming of the Lord's kingdom on earth. Now, first of all, when the first angel sounds his trumpet, hail and fire mixed with blood are hurled down upon the earth. And these judgments are reminiscent of the plagues in Egypt, except they're on a much grander scale. A third of the earth is burned up along with a third of the trees and all of the grass. When the second angel sounds his trumpet in John's vision, something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea. 
A third of the sea turns to blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Some theologians and Bible scholars speculate that the great mountain will be an asteroid crashing to earth. With the sounding of the third trumpet, a great star called Wormwood falls to the earth, and it poisons a third of the planet's freshwater sources, rivers, and springs. Men will die from drinking its poisonous waters. Following the sounding of the fourth trumpet, a third of the light that shines from the sun, moon, and stars is darkened. The celestial bodies are shaken. Now, theologians called preterists claim that all of these verses have been fulfilled in past history, but nothing like this has happened yet. Then the fifth trumpet is described as the first woe of three woes. Before this trumpet sounds, an angel warns, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are yet to sound. Well, the fifth trumpet unleashes a star, an angel of some sort, that falls from heaven and is given the key to the bottomless pit. After opening the pit, smoke rises out of it, blocking sunlight. And from out of the smoke, locusts, armored with iron breastplates, are unleashed with scorpion-like tails. These locusts are commanded by their demon king to torment everyone who doesn't have the seal of God on their forehead. The locusts are allowed to torment, but not to kill people. So who or what are these locusts? Some sort of fallen angels? Some speculate they're drone airplanes, something like helicopters. The sixth trumpet sounds. That's the second woe, releasing four angels to command a force of 200 million troops who will kill a third of all mankind. And then finally, the sound of the seventh trumpet signals the third woe. This final seventh trumpet is the final woe. According to Revelation 11:15, the angel blew the trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Well, at this point, I wish I could play Handel's Hallelujah Chorus for you. But with the final trumpet, all of those deemed worthy by God will be allowed to enter into Messiah Yeshua's kingdom while those peoples and nations who are judged as unworthy will be subjected to the seven bowls of the wraths of God. Some Christians argue that the seventh trumpet of Revelation chapter 11 corresponds to the last trumpet mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. In that verse, Paul wrote, At the sound of the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. We will all be changed so we will never die again. However, as I understand it, the trumpet blast reference in 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the trumpets traditionally blown on earth during the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Many Bible scholars believe the last trump refers to the Jewish practice of blowing trumpets each year during the autumn high holy days. As I said earlier, there's a series of short trumpet sounds concluding with one long shofar blast called the Tikiah Gedolah, which means the great trumpet blast. This could very well be what Paul meant by the last trump. 
Not only Paul, but many theologians have taught that the trumpet blasts of the Feast of Trumpets or the Day of Atonement were a picture of and will be fulfilled by the rapture of the church. But in contrast, the book of Revelation trumpets, the seven trumpet judgments, are blown not by Jewish men on earth, but by angels in heaven during the latter half of the great tribulation period. The trumpets of these angels are not used as signals of the rapture. Rather, the trumpets are signals to warn unbelievers of impending judgment. Those judgments will be the final opportunities for unbelievers on earth during the great tribulation to be saved before the wrath of God is poured out. I think at this point it would be important to review and to outline for you the timeline of biblical eschatology as being the most clear and consistent in the Bible. First of all, because of the nation of Israel's rejection of Jesus as Messiah, the establishment of the Lord's Davidic Messianic kingdom has been delayed, resulting in the desolation of Israel's temple for nearly 2,000 years. However, during the present age, the risen Lord Jesus has been building his church by the power of his Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, Jesus said he will personally come again to take his disciples to the dwelling places that he's preparing right now for us in his Father's house in heaven. This return for his disciples has always historically been considered imminent. Then Jesus prophesied in his Olivet briefing before his sacrificial death that his second coming to the earth to rule from his ancestor King David's throne will be preceded by a period of unprecedented tribulation for Israel and the nations. But this time of unparalleled trouble will culminate in Israel's salvation, accepting and welcoming Jesus as Messiah. Baruch Shem Adonai. Jesus will return to his people Israel along with his church to establish the messianic kingdom on earth, which will include Israel and the saved so-called sheep nations from amongst the Gentiles. So the sudden sounding of the shofar of God and the appearing of Messiah to snatch his remnant church to glory is our blessed hope, causing us to wake up and to listen for that sound. Let's be alert. Our redemption is drawing near. Well, as we close today, I want to ask, are you ready and watching eagerly and listening for the Lord's imminent return for his appearing? The Bible teaches that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you're willing to confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The Bible teaches that the gospel was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be assured of your salvation. However, I do want to remind you that these are serious days demanding serious discipleship and great watchfulness. And if we can help you at all in your spiritual growth, let's stay in touch on the social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can click online to review our ebooks or sign up for our free magazine, Exploits. We call it Exploits because Daniel 11.32 says, the people who know their God will be strong and take action doing exploits, the works of the Lord. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store. And why not consider coming with us on one of our Holy Land prayer tours? 
Walking the land is such an adventure and it brings the Bible to life for you. Well, thank you for praying for us as we continue to contend earnestly for the faith. And when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying for the return of Jesus. Until then, I'm Christine Dari. Shalom and Maranatha. All aboard! We're on the little train that goes from Jerusalem's Jaffa Gate and weaves through the sacred old city down to the Western Wall to pray. And we want to invite you to come along and support us financially so that the Jerusalem Channel can continue to move in the presence of God throughout this old city and throughout this nation. Thank you for supporting us, and we invite you to go to the donate page of our website, JerusalemChannel.tv. God bless you out of Zion.